Welcome to Season 5, Episode 7 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast that is presenting the new dawn of engineering challenges. My name is Melanie and my co-host and our podcast resident engineer is Dominic DeJoya. Our guest today is a civil engineer with over 25 years experience in various construction environments, including roads and transport, mining and metals, residential urban subdivision works, as well as ports. His management style is firmly underpinned by the solid project management experience he's gained through his various roles as project and construction manager and his seven years as general manager of BMD Constructions in New South Wales and the ACT. Our guest holds a bachelor's degree in civil engineering, a master's in civil infrastructure management and is a member of Engineers Australia and the Australian Institute of Company Directors. In his current role as BMD's National General Manager of Commercial and Risk, our guest leads the streamlining of BMD's commercial and risk approach to drive improved performance outcomes across the business. Joining us today on Engineering Heroes is Craig Smith. In Craig's case, the apple really hasn't fallen very far from the tree. His dad was an engineer, to be precise, a civil engineer in Brisbane, just like he is. His dad worked for a local council and stayed with the company for around 35 years, Again, this is very similar to how Craig is, having really established himself at BMD. As a young kid, Craig was an outdoors child, always digging and building mountains out of sand. He was inspired by the built environment around him. Something that I really enjoy is getting out and building that built environment here in Australia. So you got your civil engineering degree in Queensland. So what was the first thing that you did? What was the first project you worked on after you finished university? Oh, look, having... Having graduated in 1994, I remember moving through into early 1995 and looking for a job in an engineering firm. And I was actually really fortunate to land a role in Bechtel Australia back at the time. And Bechtel were building a $900 million alumina refinery, aluminum smelter, sorry, up in Gladstone. And this is back in the day where $900 million projects were mega projects. (laughs) These were big projects. I, I actually remember that I went to an interview for a really small design and construct firm in Brisbane. And I went through the interview with the guy and he said, look, he said, you're the right person for the role. You're the graduate engineer for me. He said, have you got any other interviews? And I said, look, I do. I've got this interview that at this company called Bechtel. Um, and I think they're a big American firm and you know they're going to interview me next week. And he said, look, he said, if you can get an interview at Bechtel, he said, I'm not going to offer you the job today. I could give you the job here and now, but I want you to go and follow that interview up with Bechtel. And if you can get an interview and work for them, that should be where you go. That's what you need to do oh, in your wow. career. And look, I look back now and I think that guy did me a huge favour yeah. you know, in commencing my work and you know, going to Bechtel and operating as a cost control engineer on a Bechtel site, which is $900 million, And very quickly I moved from that cost control trending analysis style in the office to get out in the field and start moving that dirt again and supervise civil construction works in the paddock. And you know, that was that was my first role in the civil industry. It was a very big project at the time and um, probably looking back quite overwhelming, yeah? yeah? Yeah, $900 million, did you say? Yeah, $900 million back in 1995. Yes. I think that was, <laughs> that was certainly some at. dollars going around. Yeah. Nothing to sneeze at, you're no, right. Definitely. No. And, well, and, that's, that's a big project these days. Anyway. Yeah. And, and your role there as the graduate engineer was the cost control, did you say? Your first role before you moved yeah, on? My, yeah, my first role was project controls engineer, which was a real management reporting style. It was a 
trending analysis, budget allocation to packages, you know, racking up a ward of subcontract packages, that sort of management style. And I did that for about six months and I think they quickly recognised that I was sort of the outdoorsy person to get out there and do something more around that construction orientated field. And that's where I picked up my role as construction supervisor on the project and and got out there and watched move some scrapers and got some dozers going and compacted some fill and laid the foundations for what is now still a massive smelter there up in uh, North Queensland. So where are you working now? You're saying you're with BMD. What's your role with them? Yeah, so my role with BMD currently is National General Manager Commercial and Risk. I've been with BMD now for a little bit over 21 years. So we have a 20-year club in BMD and um, hitting the 20-year club is a, is a major aspect in terms of the construction industry at BMD. We're, we're quite fortunate to work in a private company like that. And look, I've been there for a long time. I started as a project engineer very quickly after my Bechtel days, moved through to project management, uh, construction management. I was able to run my own division as a general manager for New South Wales for around about seven years. And then in all that time, been able to utilise all that experience that I gained from moving around Australia, taking the opportunities that were put in front of me. I was able to pick up a uh, more senior role as National General Manager for Commercial and Risk and overview what the company does. Do you spend much time on site these days or is it very much an office-bound job? Oh, look, it's probably a little bit 50-50. You know, COVID, right. has, COVID has slowed us up a little bit in terms of travelling around Australia, but we're starting to do more travel now, which is really good. I do like to spend some time on site, get out with our teams, catch up with our teams, look at what we're doing on site help mentor, get them in the right direction, ensure that we're achieving the outcomes that we want to achieve. Can I just clarify, and it might be a standard question, but what does your role entail? Yeah, so my role at BMD as that commercial and rich role, I really look at streamlining the overall commercial approach of the business. So making sure that our commercial approach is standard across the projects that we're doing, the way that we actually tender, overview of our estimating to make sure that our estimating and our pricing is correct. And then also ensure that our ultimate risk profile in terms of the contracts that we write and the style of projects that we're taking on matches the appetite that our board expects. So it gives me a vast understanding of the BMD construction business. You're based in Queensland now? Yeah, so I moved back from New South Wales there a couple of years ago, spending seven years in New South Wales, opportunity to come back to Brisbane after doing about 17 years of lapse of Australia on uh, construction sites, was the opportunity to move back to Brisbane and come back home again. And you mainly work in the infrastructure area of? Yeah, so roads and rail, you know, wind farms, port works, much more that infrastructure, that larger project style works, whether we do water supply pipelines, whether we do water sewage treatment plant upgrades, that sort of major infrastructure style works. Okay. So that $900 million figure is sort of still well and truly in the realms of the projects you're working on these days. Yeah, probably not as, probably not as big, probably right. not as big, but I tell you what, it is getting up there. Things seem to be getting bigger as we go yeah, in Australia right. with the way infrastructure works. We'll be right back with more of this great interview after these short messages. Probably the topic that I'd like to talk to yourselves about today is one sort of close to my heart in terms of what we see in the industry is the skill shortage, engineer skill shortage that we seem to come across in Australia now more and more. But we are in one of the biggest construction booms that we've ever seen in Australia. Whether you're a design engineer or whether you're a construction engineer or whether you're a mechanical engineer or an aerospace engineer, you know, Australia is in a boom. Even coming through COVID, we're in a boom. And 
what we're actually seeing is that Australia has this finite engineering resource available to us in terms of what we can build, what we can construct, what we can design. And having the resources available to us at this point, as we you know, see a real crescendo in the way infrastructure works are starting to uh, take off across Australia, is that we really are seeing that skill shortage. We can't have engineers really come in from overseas anymore. COVID's effectively really hampering that in terms of being able to bolster the engineering that we have here in Australia. And we do see it is that that skills gap is heating up in this mega project market that we're seeing in Australia. And our, our inability to tap into that worldwide engineering market is leading to, dare I say, people being promoted a little bit earlier than probably mm. what they're ready for in terms of our industry because yeah. because of the nature of competition, the nature of number of players out there in the market, we're all vying for that same resource. And we do see it like the, the site engineer, you know, the project engineer level, the project management level, the design manager level. We do see people being promoted by the market because that finite resource, they need to get resources, they need to get their hands on people to build projects and they're bringing them up very quickly. You've been in the industry for 25 years. Is this something that you're seeing has progressively gotten worse over that time or is this something new? When I think back, it's probably the last 10 years where we've actually really seen it and we're starting to see it crescendo now more and more as infrastructure works comes online. The challenge here is that the engineers thrive on experience, right? Engineers actually experience to experience in terms of being able to handle the projects that they're working on or the roles that they're actually doing, they have finite roles. And when we tend to promote quickly or too early when they're not quite ready, then we end up with aspect of failure or you know not being able to su- succeed in terms of the next level. And let's be honest here, we're trying to create a generation of engineers here that are going to be the business leaders of the future. Now, these graduate engineers that are coming through now, these guys are the CEOs and the managing directors of our major companies in 20 years' time and how we bring them through and mentor them and, and prepare them for these roles as they come through these businesses lead to the sustainability of each business and to the success of themselves as well. Do you tend to find that things like recruitment companies help this problem just purely because you get the younger engineers that are coming through and because, as you were saying, there is that shortage you have recruitment companies that come in and sort of say, I can get you so much more money if you come with me and go work at another firm. And of course, the engineers don't really understand. And if someone backed a truck of money up to my front door, then you're obviously going to jump at the opportunity. But in reality, as you're saying, people are getting pushed forward faster than they really should. Do you think that that's sort of a contributing factor to what's going on? Oh, look, I, I think so. I think, you know, obviously, recruiters have a role in terms of what they do as a business. They're trying to recruit staff for projects. What I think we do see here is that companies, you know, rather than operating at a level of retaining people for a long period of time, look at project-specific basises and they employ for those project specifics and then they don't look for that ongoing opportunity for those engineers into the future. I think that's probably the aspect that's actually driving some of it is that they're looking for that short term on engineers entering the the construction project and then exiting the construction project as opposed to uh, looking for that 20 year club that I mentioned, you know, get to that 20 year club and be promoted through the business and take a senior role in the business when you're ready, you know, have some trust in the businesses that you're working for that we do have your best intent in mind, right? We actually want you to succeed. We want you to be 
the CEO or the general manager or that big project director one day. You know, we want you to develop through. It's not just a single project we want you for. We want you for 20. And we want you for a career in the industry that we're working in. I'm just wondering, that 10-year mark that you said that you've noticed in the last 10 years that there has been a real progression of the shortage of engineers, do you feel that there's something going on? Do you feel that there is a reason that this is occurring? You know, I, I suppose it's hard to put a finger on in terms mm. of why it's occurring. You know, whether we're seeing less engineers coming through the engineering market, we're certainly out there, we're certainly delivering our fair share of lawyers through the universities currently. We've got plenty of those coming through whether we've got it right in that, that engineering field to match probably where the market is or where we're now constructing. You know, we've definitely seen infrastructure spend in Australia much higher than we have previously as well. You know, we're talking about, you know, we're rebuilding the Snowy Hydro Scheme currently, right? This is a iconic project from earlier last century. You know, now we're doubling it, we're rebuilding it, which is great, right? But at the same time, we need some serious engineers, we need some serious people attached to that project, designing the tunnel boring machines, monitoring the tunnel boring machines, fitting out the tunnel behind it. These all take significant resources and it may just be a, a resource aspect of what we're seeing. Are you finding that whilst there may not be the retention in companies in regards to that longevity, are you finding that engineers are still staying in the profession or is it becoming a situation where people are working in the, the engineering field for a while and then getting taken by management and finance and all those other areas. Is, is Are engineers sort of staying in their field from what you've been seeing? I think so, although I was reading a piece there recently and it was, it was around how engineers and professional staff, because of the COVID environment, are moving more towards maybe their dreams or, or picking up on what they wouldn't have done previously there. I think I was reading one there about an engineer that really wanted to be a baker and he went and, and was making cannolis, <laughs> which was fantastic, right, because he's following his dream and whether he would have done that pre-COVID or post-COVID, it's a little bit hard to tell, but it was an interesting read. But, you know, I'm all for people following their dreams. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear the story of the baker who's following their dream to become an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> like the other way around, that's right. That's right. Just the baker to follow his dream. That's right. He needs to do about four years of hard <laughs> study at university um, to be, before he can actually jump on that tunnel boring machine and see how it goes. And I'd like to say that he could sleep in later, but on some of the sites he'd probably be still getting up early in the morning anyway to get Yeah, I'd, I'd suggest the baker's probably getting up far earlier than the engineer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so this whole topic about the skill shortage that isn't a new topic it's something that's been going on for a while what do you see as some potential solutions to the problem what can we put in place to ensure those engineers are on site to build this infrastructure that's coming yeah i think there's there's probably a twofold answer there right and i think it, we've got to break that answer down into what we as the industry can actually do to retain and, and promote those engineers correctly and also as individuals what they can do is that um as, as i said they're, they're the future leaders we need to, as industry, we need to ensure that their experience is given to them, make sure that we're putting opportunities in front of them that is going to develop them into those future leaders with us. We need to train. Now, we do hear about training often, but we do need to gap analyse their skills and work out specifically, you know, each engineer is different in terms of where they're at in their journey. And we do need to gap analyse where they're at and specifically do train that actually meets the requirements that they need. You know, as businesses, we need to do that for them. We need to mentor and, and truly mentor and you know be part of 
that journey that that engineer is having, you know, understand where he or she is at, understand what pressures they're under on different project sites or in the design office and talk to them and, and touch base with them and see what sort of help they need. And look, as I said before, they also need to trust the process, believe that the business has their best interests. And I think when we provide our engineers with experience and help shape their career, I think that's what industry can do for them. Yeah, I, I really like that point in regards to training them as well because I think that goes a long way to helping the engineers in their career because then that way they end up in the right portion of the industry. And it's such a broad industry too that there are some people who are just absolutely sensational when you put them in front of a set of drawings and they need to put together complex plans. Mm. And then there are other people who are astoundingly good at managing people. It's very important in the early part of their career to sort of find out what they're passionate about and then you can sort of help guide them in the right direction. And they'll hopefully encourage more people to come into the industry as well. Absolutely. I think it, it comes down to the individual as well is that when the individual is looking at what they're doing in terms of being promoted or looking to change their roles or wanting to be promoted in the industry is to, is to look at when they are changing jobs or are changing companies is to work out, has this company got my best interests yeah. at heart? Is this company going to provide me that training? Are they going to gap analyze me? Am I ready to take on this role? Am I a site engineer? Do I have the skills yet as a project engineer? Am I setting myself up for success? And then you know, can I succeed here? Can I actually make this work in a way that will support my career in the future as, as I work my way through that engineering ranks and up through into senior management? So the, the solution there that you're talking about is for people who are actually already in the engineering industry. Is that more that you're, you're finding that it's the difficulty is keeping them in and keeping them on the job because I have heard that there is an issue with getting engineers into university to start with like getting students to select engineering is that something that you've experienced as well yeah I think so I think I think at the end of the day I think that sometimes engineers don't sell themselves as well as we could sometimes we need to be, be a little bit more out there in terms of what we do in the world and how we help the whole sustainability of humanity in terms of what we do and I'd, I'd love to talk further around what I would say to engineers, you know, anyone that's actually thinking about coming into a university role for engineering. <laughs> we will actually get into that one. <laughs> what would you say to an engineer just starting out? Oh, look, I think, I think I'd say that engineering is a really rewarding career. You know, over, over my time, I've seen some brilliant pieces of infrastructure built and I've been involved in working with teams that are actually worked beyond their peak, like worked in alliancing projects where people actually work past what they actually think their performance can be and work outside the box in a collaborative environment that shows you how good you can actually be and how you can actually be better than didn't you think you are in terms of the, the goals that you set yourself. But you know, I would say that in engineering, you, you can influence, you can lead, you can innovate, you're creating a brighter future for humanity. Now, these are Engineers Australia's mantra, right, in terms of what we're producing for engineers in Australia. But, you know, if you were considering a career in engineering, is that now is your time? With one of the biggest infrastructure spends that Australia has ever seen is that it's going to go on for a number of years. If you were considering going into engineering, it's highly rewarding, both financially and mentally experience-wise, it's highly rewarding. And um, many firms out there want to invest in our people. We at BMD want to invest in our people. We want to invest in our engineers. 
We want you to have a successful career. We want you to have experience in the industry and, you know, opportunity to move around Australia, opportunity to move to major cities and opportunities to do things that other people could only dream of doing. So just on that, what are your thoughts on the future of engineering? Yeah, the future of engineering, and that's an interesting question as well, but but the future of engineering, as humanity's knowledge and needs increase, the demands on engineering will just continually grow. The engineering world as we know it is constantly changing. We look at companies such as, you know, let's look at Elon Musk, SpaceX. Here's a company that shows the future of engineering and the possibilities of engineering are actually endless. Now, in in a hundred years' time, you know, our current aeronautical, agricultural, biomedical engineers could be developing the skills and the designs that actually see us living on Mars. These are aspects that Elon Musk actually promotes is that we need engineers that can actually do that. You know, we need sustainable cities, we need green cities. Now, I'm out there in part of my role building roads and bridges and wind farms and so forth, is that driverless car technology is a reality. You know, in 10 or 20 years' time, the bridges that we're building, the roads that we're building, hopefully these are structures of the past, right? Hopefully these are something that we don't need anymore. These electric cars and driverless technology, I hope so. You know, it'll be more greener, it'll be more sustainable. And I think this is where the future of engineering is. We go back 100 years, we go forward 100 years, you know, what we're capable of is only growing. And this is where engineers can really help that greater community in terms of where they live and what they can improve on. It's, the future is, it just it feels so unknown because it's one of those things where you look at a short term and you go, oh, nothing really much changes. But then when you look over a longer term, like you look back 100 years, I'm like, oh my God, that a lot has changed. It's almost unrecognisable in some aspects, but at the same time, there are some real, like you still drive on a road, but now the roads look bigger and uh, wider and you know, more cement and things. So it's a real difficulty, I find, to project into the future. You know, are you going to be building roads on Mars in 100 years' time? <laughs> like, is that what you're kind of gearing up for? <laughs> yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to talk to our estimating department. As to what that's going to cost. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I'm not sure about a benchmark pricing for that, but um, I'm sure I can come up with an estimate. <laughs> you could. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of zeros on that one. I think if you're talking skill shortages here on... Yeah. In Australia, you might be having a few more out there. So that's right. They won't be able to get off the planet too easily, though. Will uh, they? That's right. Very true. <laughs> Maybe they'll improve it in those days. Um, so, mm. just to finish up, what's a piece of engineering that's impressed you? Now, for a piece of engineering to impress me, it's it's really got to be complex. Right? It's got to be complex. It's got to look good. It's got to look the part. It has to be impressive in terms of the greater environment that it sits in. I've seen some impressive structures in, in my travels. The opportunity to ride on tunnel boring machines underground. I've had, uh, you know, opportunity to walk across the top of the Hoover Dam and sort of contemplate what that is and how much concrete's in the Hoover Dam. I've had opportunity to be in the metro tunnels in uh, Hong Kong. But look, when it comes down to it, I've, I've got two pieces of Australian infrastructure that, that impress me and they are actually side by side and they're the Harbour Bridge and the Sydney Opera House. Mm. You know, here's two structures, the Harbour Bridge complex in its construction, built in a time when, you know, technology was a minimum in terms of what we know now in terms of construction. And 
you know, next to the Harbour Bridge, we've got the Sydney Opera House, iconic structure sitting on the abutting piece of land, the construction of the sails. These two pieces really symbolise to me what it is to be Australian, what it is to have Australian engineering feats here on our own doorstep. And look, I can't think of anything better than those two. It actually means a lot coming from somebody who's not from Sydney to to yeah. hear that sort of comment. I mean, I'm I'm such a Sydney cider that I'm you know I, I bleed blue. But is that the right colour? I don't know. I don't follow rugby, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Yay! Okay. Um, but and so I naturally have this. You know, I get choked up when I if I'm overseas and I see that, or even when we watch movies, like oh, there's Sydney Opera House or something like that. But um, yeah. to hear it from you know a, a Queensland boy is it means a lot. But the engineering behind those two iconic landmarks is it's just amazing as well. I mean the I mean what an era. The, the story were, yeah. of um yeah, the opera house and even with all of the, the trials and tribulations in regards to um actually getting completed. But see to this day you go in there and you walk you really can't appreciate it until you walk in, you sort of stand either um, outside of it and look in or go inside yeah. and sort of have a look at the structure and how it's all put together. And it's just astounding. And particularly with what was available back then, the resources and the technology, it wasn't as though they had computer simulations and, you know. Um, yeah, we didn't have drones flying over the top. We didn't have the survey set outs that we have now. You know, underneath right. the opera house, underneath the opera house there's, um, there's carved tunnels in yeah. um, sandstone down there, which, weren't built by tunnel boring machines or road headers. These things were carved out of sandstone yeah. decades ago in terms of having actors be able to go through these tunnels and up the stairs into the opera house. These are spectacular pieces of engineering that yeah. um, that sit there. We you know we don't even see that bit. No, it's a, and it just makes you think in the future what are going to be those those pieces of engineering that can potentially surpass something like the two pieces of engineering that have been sitting there for. 85. Well, yeah, very, very long, yeah. very long That's time right. now. So just to finish up, do you have an engineer that you admire? Well, keeping with my theme of what I've been doing, I've been putting uh, a bet in either way on each of these so far. I've still got two here as well. <laughs> is it, um, is it, first is Archimedes. You know, we go back decades. We go back hundreds of years here. Yeah. But look, Archimedes is that original classic engineer of all time. You know, he's that influencer that we spoke about earlier, be it in mathematics, physics, his inventions are still well known today. You know, pulley systems, pumping systems. You know, he he really was, you know, the Elon Musk of his time, if there was such a thing when we go back that far. And the second one's Elon Musk. Now, <laughs> the, the jury's out on whether Elon's actually an engineer or not. Um, Elon's <laughs> supposed to be a scientist. He's an economist. He's supposed to have read so much. The debate's out on whether he's an engineer. But let's look at it. Does he use scientific principles? Yeah. Does he problem solve? Yes. So he's got all the traits of the engineer. And you know, here we've got, is that brilliant thinker, right? Is that brilliant thinker? He's not thinking about what is possible. He's thinking about what is probable and he's making that occur. And we spoke earlier around, you know, will we end up putting people on Mars and living on Mars? He uses engineering principles to take us to places that, that we can only dream about. We talked about electric cars. We talked about SpaceX. I think Elon's business was a little bit more profitable than Archimedes. <laughs> but um, definitely engineer or not, it's a hard one to work out. Time will tell with that. They're very diverse, those two, Archimedes and Elon, but they're great stories to end on. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great speaking with you. Thank you so much. 
No, absolutely. And it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Engineering Heroes as we present the new dawn of engineering challenges for Engineers Australia. Your hosts have been Melanie and Dominic Tajoya. You can view this episode's show notes and learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. If you enjoyed today's show, all we ask you to do is go and tell someone, either in person or write a review. It's that easy to show your support for engineers everywhere. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions.